If you want to be a long-lasting leader, you've got to be human and personable and then be hard on people when you're really into it. Not just be hard 24-7 and really wear out the organization. Real quick note, my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with UnCruise. Now we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people. And frankly, it just wasn't for us. But this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails. And we received incredibly personalized service guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked UnCruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico, and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service, and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleads.com slash cruise. That's benleads.com slash cruise for the latest deals. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode today. I have for you Rocco Mango, who is the COO of Leaf Homes, the largest home improvement company in the country. Leaf Homes patented leaf filter gutter protection system you may have heard about this specific item has earned numerous awards and recognition for good housekeeping qualified remodeler angie consumer reports the old house and other consumer review platforms previously he led a billion dollar global polymer business at lubrizol formerly bf goodrich and now owned by berkshire hathaway father of four awesome kids and three dogs Rocco, welcome to Lake Team, sir. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. Appreciate you inviting me. Man, I was so excited because a lot of people, though, might be thinking, okay, they do a lot of stuff, and, and, and they're known for their fancy gutter services. Why are gutters so much fun and interesting? And you know what? I'm, before I was a homeowner, I didn't really care about gutters. But we bought a home, we lived underneath some beautiful trees, and every year it was like torture and pain to clear the gutters. And you know, I'm telling you, it was a royal pain, causing lots of problems. The water was backing up over the gutters because they were full of leaves, and it was getting on our soffits, home soffits. And then I ran across yep. this leaf filter system at a music festival. We're big music festival goers. Our listeners know I go to a lot of music festivals. I thought, who in the world's advertising leaf filters at a music festival? You guys are. And they were showing me, like, these things are actually pretty cool. And I'm telling you, we got these things installed. And it blew my mind because our leaf gutter problem went away literally overnight once these things are installed. And we just had them taken down because we're about to do a big addition on the house. And um, I looked inside of them. And the gutters are spick and span 
clean. You can leave it up there for years. And I'm thinking, my gosh, I need to put them back on the addition by whatever this thing's done. So that's just a little clever this because the incredible experience. And you didn't necessarily know that we were going to be having this conversation on this specific topic. But what's it like working for a company where you're sort of master of the gutter universe? Hmm. Well, first of all, I appreciate the comments. Wait, I wasn't ready for the comments. So it's really nice to talk to a uh, customer who's, you know, pleased with what we did and the product that we installed on their house. You know, one of the things that we do at Leach Hall, like we're called Leach Hall, and one of our products is Leach Filter, which you are referring to. Yeah, Leach Filter. Every other product that we have has Leach Hall in front of it. So it would be Leach Hall gutters. We also do windows, doors. Uh, we do water purification. We do garage flooring. So, and one of our biggest other ones is bats. So we own, and you put the product at, at the end, we own bat. But you're talking about we filter gutter protection. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, excited that you, you know, we solved the problem for you because that's what's great about that product. And the reason I joined the company is I didn't know much about gutter protection. And when I met, I met Matt Pollard, who founded the company back in, uh, he founded it in 2005 or back in 2016. I met him and he said, you know, we do gutter protection. And a PE firm named Gridiron had purchased that in 2016. Mm-hmm. And and I was talking to him, I was like, what is gutter protection? I'd have been all over, I didn't even know what it was. I've never heard of it. Uh, and it's just a fantastic product that works and nobody knows what it is until you actually tell them that you're solving a problem for them because they didn't know the product existed. And that's probably how you came across it, Ben, correct? Yes. And I apologize for saying gutters versus gutter protection. But to me as a homeowner, all I know is I have a problem with my gutters. You guys show up. Hey, it'll ruin your house. You know, the gutters fill up with leaves Correct. And this beautiful fall here, and then it starts raining, and they back up, and they destroy your roof line. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to have a, a product like that that solves such a real problem, right? I mean, cybersecurity is real, data protection, all these things are things you need to protect and think about. But, I mean, gutters are just so, like, raw. Right. But, but you need them. And I live in Charleston, South Carolina, where we literally yesterday had the biggest rainfall, non-tropical rainfall in South Carolina history. And um, yeah, glad we had the leaf filters on. You know, what's amazing about leaf filters, you think you need leaves or, you know, to sell it, right? But really lots of things get in the gutter, not just leaves. You the roof grit, all that. Uh, oh, yep. there. You get rodents, snakes, all kinds of things. We sell leaf filter in Arizona and California where hardly ever rain. Oh, and there's lots of any trees. And, you know, there's things that get in the gutter that cause problems. And you just, you know, our product actually helps nothing get in the gutter. And, you know, also if, if like in California, hmm. one of the things that also helps prevent is when they have fires, you don't want like things in your that ash. Anything, yeah, that could actually catch fire. So it's actually put on the house that uh, to help save the house, so it doesn't, you know, easily catch the house on fire. Yeah, really, really cool. So the pennant technology it is this special mesh, right, for the fil- yeah. filtration system. 
And it sounds like you've taken that and you've applied it to water filtration to your homes or a variation of that. We're doing water purification. We're sopping your water also to take out uh, harmful chemicals, just like the other water purification companies. But anytime we get into a, a product, we start to enhance that product. So we'll be coming out with new and improved um, things for the water purification, new and improved products for, for the uh, showers. Uh, we also do stair lifts. So, you know, safety, getting somebody off the ladder on the outside of the house. We also want to make people safe on the inside of the house. We do stair lift. We do road threshold um, showers, walk-in tubs to keep people in their house a little longer. And oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're such a cool company. Now from your background, you'd be like, you look at your LinkedIn profile and here you are trucking along BF Goodrich, Librazol. You're really going with, I'll say Titans of industry. You've got a chemical background, right? At prep from the university that was yep. the university of Cincinnati. Yep. Was that a engineering at Cincinnati university? Yeah. I mean, here you are, right? You're trucking along. You're, you're getting promoted, moving up the chain, and then change of direction. What was that change of direction, and what was it like stepping into that? Well, my career, well, I started at BF Goodrich in engineering. I left briefly, um, went to a, a company that made design and built rolling mill equipment because uh, my third child had... Uh, was diagnosed with diabetes, wanted to work close to the house. So that was an ESOP company. And oh, okay. Shortly, I have a long story. Employee owned that. for the listeners, right? So, you, so the employees own the company. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. And it was right at the time that the foreign companies were dumping steel in the United States. So the whole industry was in a tailspin. It was really gotcha. yeah. very disruptful, very hard to manage. Took it in the bankruptcy, sold it, and I went back to be at Goodrich. And then that was around 2000 or 2001, we split off the specialty chemicals and a PE firm bought it. So in 2001 mm-hmm. and 2003, I was PEO and then Lubrizol bought it. So then I went back to a public owned company. And then in 2011, Berkshire Hathaway bought it. So then I was quasi- Uncle Warren Buffett came in. Yeah, I got to yeah. talk to him. So I have a lot of stories about talking to Warren Buffett, which I spent like three hours with them. It was one of the best three hours I've ever spent in my life. Well, we can't leave that. We can't leave that. What was that like making with Warren Buffett? Well, we asked him a million questions, but I, he, number one, he is extremely funny, quick-witted, and the, what you'll find is is he's a little different than what you see on TV because he just makes a jerk about everything. He's so fast with his mind, and it's his mind is a steel trap. He'll quote things from you know, Coca-Cola's uh, annual report in the uh, 1800s. It's unbelievable. And what do you invest in or why invest? But we asked him questions about who was your successor, right? And, you know, he waxed eloquent about, you know, his board, Bill Gates, always asks him that question, who was your successor? And then gives the answer. So we just kept pressing him on it. And finally, he said, look, here's here's what you do about succession, succession plan. He said, when you're looking for your successor in a business, you find that person that has all these leadership qualities. You know, they're credible, they're honest, they have high integrity, people want to follow them, 
you know, all these great traits for a leader, you'd find that person in the company. And then he, so we're all listening intently and he leans in and he says, you fired that SOB because they're going to take your job. And so we were, we were like totally like shocked when he said it because we were, we, he had us drawn in, you know, he was talking real softly and then he told us to fire that person. And so obviously we started laughing and then he didn't say anything. He just left it at that. And then we said, well, seriously, what, like, what's the story? He said, listen, I told, I told Bill Gates that should something happen to me, I left an envelope in my drawer. And in that envelope, you'll find who the, the successor of the company. So we said, well, what's the name? Bill Gates is asking, what, what's the name? He said, well, Bill wanted to know the same thing. I handed over the, the letter and when he opened it and it said, check my pulse, I'm not dead. So, <laughs> so. Oh, wow, he's having fun with us. He's torturing everybody else though. Yeah, totally. But, you know, we, we take succession seriously. We felt like taking it seriously my whole career. Every every company should take it seriously because you really do want to find those people. You always want to hire people in your organization that are smarter than you, think differently than you, solve problems in a way that's different. Not a yes person drives you to be a better leader. Those are the people that you look for to bring onto your team. You don't want people that are less smart. You want people that are more smart, more diverse, think differently. Um, so for us, you know, at Lee Fulton, we have a whole succession uh, planning process where we're always trying to figure out who are the high potentials, who's going to be your replacement if you leave, what's going to happen. And those are the people that, honestly, those traits that I was talking about that he said, you fired that person, those are the people that we're actually trying to, you know, make sure that they are the successor, give them bigger responsibilities, test them, you know, and make sure that they are ready to take that next step. Yeah, you know, what I hear of that is the main thing you learned from Warren Buffett was that you got to have a sense of humor in business. Oh my gosh, he is extremely funny. I, I, I get so many, so many of those things where he drew us in and then just popped us with the, something that we weren't expecting. And um, what a legend and what a gift to get to spend yeah. that kind of time with him. So let's dive into your first experience in private equity with. When you went to that, and that was, uh, you know, what was that experience like? And ultimately, what, what did you learn from it? Well, that was 2001. So I'd already gone to that company that designed and built rolling mill equipment. So I crammed like 10 years of experience into that because, oh, the, just the tailspin everything was in. Um, the CEO had left. I was left holding the bag. I was running the company. I learned every nook and cranny of the company because when we're in dire straits, you're trying to figure out what's important and what's not. You're trying to figure out how to get cash to finish projects. You're reducing this the staff. I was, you know, the, our union workforce was National Steel Workers of America, and it wasn't local. They had a national, so I had to deal with the national, the president of that of the of the steel workers. So I learned how to negotiate. Um, I learned how to do things quickly, and then I went back to BF Goodrich, and BF Goodrich was like an eight billion dollar company back in 2000 and the CEO or the company was just slow moving, bureaucratic, had a lot of process and was going into, um, aerospace, wanted to be an aerospace company. 
So they decided to sell off the specialty chemical company. And, and uh, like I said, the B firm bought it. And we were named NodeBR at the time. So our, the CEO they put in place, you know, was a hard charging, drive results. And honestly, bad. he was an ass 24-7, right? Because he wanted results. Cash was king. And in every meeting, it didn't matter how well you were doing, he was going to dress you down and make sure you did even more, right? We flattened the organization. I think there was only like, we were over a billion dollar company and our organization had no more than three or four layers to it. It was pretty unbelievable. We got really flat. We made quick decisions. We were cut all the fat out. We drove the margins, you know, as high as we could. And we basically sold to Liversol, you know, 2003. So less than three years later, he got it ready to sell. So what did I learn? Yeah. That's a different type of CEO. That's not a long lasting person that's going to sit in a seat for a while. That's somebody who comes in, kind of changes what's going on. And after a while, um, you kind of wear out your welcome if you're like that, right? So to me, mm-hmm. if you want to be a long-lasting leader, you've got to be human and personable and then be hard on people when you really need to. Not just be hard 24-7 and really wear out the organization. So that was like my first like stint into like really learning you know, how to be a great leader that be in the seat for a long time, really get people to follow that for a long, sustained period of time. Yeah, that's interesting because you got to see the company well, and did at least two different lights before when it was more, had that more steady bureaucracy with people and the other, and then go through the change. And after the big change happened, what it was like on the other end when it was leaner. Yeah. Uh, do you think he could have gotten the company there as quickly if he'd had a different approach? No, if you're really going to turn it around that fast and sell it, you really, you really needed to be that way. You couldn't be slow moving, bureaucratic for red tape. He really needed to enable us to make decisions. And he basically, every single day, I'd get at work at like 6.30, he'd be in my office asking, you know, he was looking at deliveries and what we were doing. And he was, he was in the weeds, you know, so you always knew he was in the weeds. He always knew what his answer was going to be. So you remember that I asked him a question because he you know what he was going to say. So and then he, it, just, and then, it got okay. tired, really tired, and that's all. That's you know, we, did it, How did that impact turnover? Was What was turnover affected during his – it's like he was creating turnover. Yeah. He, he wanted it. He also caught – yeah, we cut a lot of – a lot of uh, – we cut a lot of people, actually, that really thinned down the organization. Are you looking to increase sales, grow your brand, and share your leadership message? Then check out our business podcast program. Each week, more people listen to podcasts than have Netflix accounts, and one-third of the U.S. population listens to podcasts regularly. So your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. Discover our five-step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com slash schedule. That's benleads.com slash schedule. And what was the end state once it went through that big change? And what was it like? I'm trying to think about like what the, what the world was like before inside the organization versus after. 
So before it was hard to get things done, or at least took a long time to get things done. And all of a sudden, you know, power to make decisions. And I, I liked it honestly because I had just done it. I had just done it at that uh, that business that was about one hundred twenty-five million dollars that manufactured rolling work equipment. And mm, like I said, I was in every European training of that business, making yeah. myself on a daily basis. So I really liked the change. I embraced it. What was interesting when we got it ready to sell and Lubrizol was interested in, in buying it was I thought that they were buying it so they would want to be like us. The acquirer wanted to be like the acquiree. I was so wrong then, so wrong. The acquirer, it's the world according to the acquirer, right? Uh, huh. And uh, all the leadership from Novion that were purchased by Lubrizol were eliminated except for me over a period of like a year. And then I made it into the Lubrizol uh, organization running the well, billion-plus polymer business, global business, before I wow. so when Warren Buffett actually purchased it. So when, what was your survival mechanism to stick around and not and not be on the chopping block that year. Oh. Well, I think I'm just pretty adaptable. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of folks that were just like my way or that's it, you know, and they just got they couldn't find the common ground below. They couldn't, mm. you know, really try to figure out what the best practice was to melt both mm-hmm. cultures together. It was really tough culturally. Uh even for me, it was really tough. But I was leading some of the people that were remnants of the really fast charging, you know, fast decision making and melting them into, you know, a more, an older company, right? Lubrizol out the long time. It's a great company. I'm not putting Lubrizol down because it's an awesome company. It was just very different culturally. And mm-hmm. I just adapted and tried to bring the, the best of what we had to what, what they were doing. And still kind of leading and empowering more people to do it. So if there's one trait that you can instill on every employee, what would it be? And how does it make things different? Oh, that's a great question, Ben, because you can there's so many traits that you could really talk about, dedication, loyalty, all those wonderful traits. The one that that resonates with me is creativity. Because, yeah, creativity is something that I really look for when I'm hiring people. And it's really like, are they curious? Mm. Do they want to make things better? Are they trying to find ways, you know, to innovate? Doesn't matter whether you're innovating a product or innovating a process or a service, but always challenging whether we're doing it the right way. And is there a better way? Right. So, Somebody that's creative and just naturally creative, naturally curious. Uh, I've led a lot of the R&D and new product development teams. And and one of the reasons I led doing that is because for me, I'm very curious. I take things apart. Yes. As a child, I took everything apart, took my dad. Absolutely nuts because there was a couple of times I didn't put it back together correctly. We didn't have iPhones. You couldn't take a picture. You know, you didn't do all that. Never. Well, you're not as old as me, but. You know, before the iPhone, it was not easy to do that. Yeah. But uh. but I'm always in it for people that are curious and challenge me, think differently. They want to improve the processes um, internally. 
They want to go into markets that you know maybe we wouldn't have thought of. They're solving problems by looking at other other industries and see how they do it to see if we could actually adapt their technology or their process to our process. So people that really think broad and are, are curious are what I what I look for. In, in, when, you, when you're hiring and going through that process, what do you ask or what are you looking for that are that are maybe markers of creativity and curiosity? Yeah, good question. And I think there's ways to actually test it when they're when they're in the seat too. But I always go back to like I knew what I was doing when I was growing up, and you know, like what did you do when you were younger? What did you did you wonder how the toaster worked? Were you thinking about the VCR? Did you take that apart? Did you look at your lawnmower and wonder? So I wonder how that thing's rubbing. What are the pistons doing? How is that firing? You know, like are you looking at things like that? And in your mind, wondering how it works or even taking it apart to figure it out. So I'm always asking questions like that. Or if they played sports, well, what were you doing to get better? What was it that mm. uh, made you so good at what you did? But I'm always going backwards in time to understand how their mind works. And then I'll get to their experience as well to see, you know, what did you make better in your job? Did you leave your job better than when you started it? And why? What what happened? What did you change? How did you change it? Who did you convince? Why did you convince them? So yeah, encourage interview questions there. Those guys are managers. Yeah. And if man, whoever's interviewing with you next should be listening to this interview if they want to nail out one of them when they come in. See if they're ready for the test or question or not. Yeah. I mean, look, you don't want people who just always want to do things different, right? And they totally disrupt. I just want to tear it up, boss. Yeah, you don't want that either. You want, you want to run the business, but also be able to make it better in a way that's professional, thoughtful, and, you know, that you're just not showing the, the uh, rear with uppercuts, right? You can't just do that. Without including names, what's your most colorful story of when someone quit or aspired? So I've been around a, a while, man, so I've had to terminate quite a few people. But for me, just thinking about this question, you know, when, when I'm, when I have an employee that, you know, needs help that is like, if they don't improve, I'm going to have to terminate. I make them aware that there's a problem, right? And what the problem is and what they need to fix. And then you even formalize it and put it on a performance improvement plan, right? And then along the way, you're communicating with them, you know, are you doing well at this? Did it, are you moving the needle there? Are you so by time it's mm. if they don't improve to where they need to, to to keep the job and there's no other job in the company because I'll look for other things that they could possibly do or be really good at. Maybe they're in the wrong seat. But if it comes to the point where they're gonna be terminated, the people that I've terminated should have been self-aware because I make that very apparent. The colorful stories of what I do have to fire somebody is when they're not self-aware. And they're mm -hmm. totally shocked that it's happening or just can't believe that it's going to happen. And those are the, those are the stories without naming mm -hmm. names. Really hard to get out of their office, really hard to get, make them leave the property. Is there one that sticks that, that stands out more than the rest? I, I had one that a gentleman was running a manufacturing facility and he was failing. And I put him on a plan. I talked to him incessantly. He knew he was failing. I went out there to, to finally terminate him. 
and it just wouldn't leave his office. Got very combative with me. Basically, told me I was a horrible person, and and I don't know. And he, uh, you know, and, and I calmly was just telling him, "Here's all the things. Here's what we talked about. Here's what we failed at. Here's why it's not working out." You know, there's no other thing, no other place in the company for you. Just, it's, you know, I just kept saying those things and he just wouldn't get, I had to go get boxes myself and help pack his, his, uh, let me help you <laughs> to his office up and actually help him take it to the car with him. And then he wouldn't leave. He wouldn't read oh, the car. Man. Yeah. So not accepting realities, which no, it was like a two hour process to finally get him on <laughs> property. Oh, and and like I said, man, it's not a secret. I'm pretty transparent and upfront with people. That's one of the things that I, I'm proud of is that I'm not afraid to talk to people about what they need to do in a professional. Yeah, giving people a chance to improve, resetting the expectations, because sometimes they didn't get it the first time or second or third time. You know, keep keep giving that chance. But well, eventually, sometimes people, is just not working out. Correct. Time to end the relationship, man. Correct. Well, when was the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and had to lead to your success or growth all down the road? You know, I would say the unexpected was the time I was at the uh, rolling mill. The, the, mm-hmm. It was called Bliss Salem, and I had gone there because I trying to be close to my house when my son uh, was diagnosed with diabetes and we had to do childcare. So I wanted to be close to the house. And this was a $125 million company. And I got hired as the vice president of operations. They had a 300,000 square foot machine shop building these, this rolling mill equipment, 44 engineers designing it. I was basically running everything except the sales portion. Hmm. And yeah. I had no idea that the steel industry was in such a mess or a tailspin because of the uh, dumping. dumping. It, it yep. really started happening when I, when I got there. And uh, so I just was, I took that for family reasons. I thought it would be a great experience. And it absolutely was. I wouldn't even trade for the world. I'd do it all over again, even though it was the hardest thing I'd ever done for two years. And I crammed 10 years of experience into that in two and a half years. And during that time, when I, I think I was saying earlier that. When the CEO left and I was running it and trying to figure out how to, you know, we had cash flow problems, how to pay for the you know, continuing the projects with all these big steel companies, working with them. They didn't want to pay us because they were in dire straits. They weren't partnering with us at all. They didn't care if we went out of business because they were kind of trying to figure out how they were going to survive. Mm-hmm. And right as we were doing that, my father passed away. And so, like, adding insult to injury, my dad uh, had pancreatic ulcer and died within, like, 19 days. And so I was taking this into bankruptcy, working with the creditors, the debtors, the lawyers, the banks, um, trying to get the business right, trying to sell it, trying to do the right thing, and when that happened, I was like, wow, what did I do to deserve that? Like, happening. But, you know, you just persevere, right? You kind of push through, right? It it was a very tough time for me, but I learned a lot. When I said I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the experience at Bliss Salem, but you know, 
the father thing passing away where I was, you know, I was only about 33 or so when that happened. Mm. And he was my best friend. That's the twist that really got me. And I really looked, I really looked inside. And that's why I actually went back to be at Goodrich because I didn't want to find another job. I, I called, I left there on really good terms. I knew why I left when they, you know, brought me back with open arms. Mm. And I, that was a great thing for him. They helped us so, get through that. What did you lean on in those times when it was so difficult in the steel industry and with your dad's passing? Well, look, I have a great family. I have four wonderful kids. They were all young back then. And, uh, you know, my wife is extremely supportive. I have just good friends that helped, right? That knew I was going through that that time. I had friends that, you know, where I left at BF Goodrich. Um, you know, they were wanting me back. Um, and just mm. really just people that mm. encouraged me to, you know, I'm just one of those people that would just keep going. But that was a tough, tough fire. And it was really my family and friends that, that helped a lot. My wife, especially. Yeah, it's, it's great for listeners to recognize that, I mean, a lot of times there's a, an armor that the CEO, COO wears, executive wears, and they're almost treated as like superhuman. And the expectation is to carry the weight of the company and the world. And it's nice to know that, you know, you've got your support network that you develop. A lot of times people think about, and leaders think about nurturing their team, supporting their team, but it's so easy for them to stop nurturing the group that supports them. Yeah. And it's it's a really cool story to hear the fact that you're able to rely on your family that's all. Right. Yeah, especially my family. Yeah, so good, man. Thanks for sharing that. So starting to wind this up, what's a a success strategy that you'd recommend for all employees to consider? Well, there's a lot of those too, right? So usually you ask for three, but you've given us so many. To give you one, but if you want to keep rolling with a couple extras, it'd be I, good. I've been one already, like be creative, right? Yeah. Creativity is a, is a... Yeah, and you want to find... That one's, that one's the top of the list, it sounds like, for... Well, I think um, self-management is a huge one. Because if you're, like, for us at Lee Farm, we take KPIs really seriously. We mm-hmm. model OKRs now, objectives and key results. You know, have a pretty big stretch goal, but get granular with what you want, you know, how are you going to achieve it and measure it? So if you don't have people that can self-manage, then, you know, how do they planning? How are they prioritizing? How are they organizing? How are they executing? Right. They have to do those things themselves. So you have these KPIs and, you know, that you're trying to achieve for the company. But you've got to self-manage yourself to plan, organize, prioritize, and execute. And so to me, that's like really, really important. If I have to tell you what to do on a daily basis, you're not going to last, right? I can just do it myself. So self-management, creativity, and I think the third one would be communication skills. Mm. Thoughtful and professional, put yourself in the other person's shoes and then communicate with them understand where they're coming from, listen actively, right? Be a good listener and just collaborate and communicate. So those three things, I think. 
Yeah, so good. I was going to ask you about when you say self-management, what does it mean? It can mean a lot of things, but I think it goes back. It sounds like you said organization and execution. And yeah, I mean, it's, there's an interesting little, they don't teach that in school. No. Uh, there might be some schools out there. What's that? Did you have to read that in a business book? Yeah, there's, there's a lot out there. Uh, but still people don't really absorb it and you got to put it into action because if you don't prioritize you get overwhelmed and uh yeah it's it's a really big thing for those Morocco, what is your parting thought for our listeners today i would say that you know every career no matter what we want to do you're in control of it right don't let yeah. other people tell you who you are what to do and how to do it be yourself have a voice, uh, express your thoughts, and go for what you think you would like to do in your career. Don't let other people tell you, right? You never know who you're going to meet. You never know um, what company you're going to run into. Be yourself, but also be empathetic, compassionate. Be a, be a good human being. Treat everybody with respect. And... Because you just don't know that that relationship that you just made today might be the thing that really unlocks your future. So be yourself. And who knows? It could be Warren Buffett too. Correct. Grace, <laughs> correct. <laughs> Thanks, Rocco. Man, I appreciate it. Would you or your CEO be a good fit for this podcast? If you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to benleads.com slash apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit. That's benleads.com slash apply. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.